coming to Rock Point for about six years now. And uh, I teach with the women's ministry, so uh, Wednesday evening there's some classes going on within the women's ministry, and then also on Sunday, starting March 1st, I'm going to be leading a class on spiritual gifts. So all of you who are ladies who would like to come will be right across the hall on March 1st. Sure, I'm Michael. <laughs> I didn't know she was going to do that. Michael Flores, um, I, I'm actually on staff here at Rock Point Church, and um, I'm normally doing worship, so it was really weird for me to get up this morning at 6 and not have anything to do, So, but I'm very glad to be here with you all today. So, anyway. It's so funny because when we were putting the, the materials together for this class, we're both high drivers, so we're kind of like tugging on who's going to say what and who's going to do what. So, Anyhow, we're going to get started. And what we're going to do is we're just going to share our story with you. And so we're going to go into a little role, like Bill and Vicki. We should have gotten coaching from you all. <laughs> <laughs> so it was December 13, 1997, 11 years ago. So there I was. I was packing up my belongings, walking past my husband who was reclining in our black sofa to pack up my car. I had already found an apartment signed a contract, and was reluctantly mentally but driven emotionally to escape, to figure out what I wanted and what I needed. It was only yesterday that I decided to drop the bomb on my husband that I was unhappy, emotionally dead, inside and was leaving, through the seed of the recommendation that was planted by my non-Christian counselor. March 14, 1998, three months later, I'd been living in my small, sad and lonely apartment about 20 minutes away from my large, 3,000-square-foot lovely new home, feeling more depressed, unsure, unsettled, and confused as ever. Have you ever felt like you were in a black hole and just couldn't get out? That is how I feel today. December 10, 1998, one year later, for the past entire year, I poured myself through self-help books, mainly Christian ones, because I had been saved two years prior to the beginning of this, and I knew that I wanted to incorporate God. Later, I realized it had to be all about God. I also poured my heart out to God over the course of this year, but I was not connected to a body of believers, not attending a church the entire time, but I was communicating through email with a familiar uh, old boyfriend from my past, hoping to feel the emotional void in my life. However, something deep inside me was driving me to seek proper counsel. Finally, I remember crying out to God to grab my hand and pull me out of this dark hole. I wanted him to restore my marriage, knowing deep inside that I wanted to be with Michael, but I didn't know how to make it work. Yet I continued with the counseling for what seemed to be several years with no progress. December 10th, 1998. Well, here I am in my car headed to Dr. Martha's office, our counselor, and I'm convinced I'm going to ask for a divorce. In fact, I've already told Martha that I was going to do that in this session and to be expecting to manage any conflict that may ensue. I know I've had enough. I know I'm right. How dare my so-called wife think that I'm the one who needs to change? She's the one with the troubled background. She's the one who struck up conversations with an ex-boyfriend. She's the one I can't trust. After all, I haven't done anything wrong. Why do we continue to argue all the time? I tell her over and over again how important she is to me. I tell her over and over again how much I love her. I constantly tell her how good she looks, how pretty she is, etc., etc., etc. But still, there's no love there. 
In fact, she questions my integrity. In fact, she doesn't believe me. How is that my fault? I need to find somebody who can love me for me. Somebody who will love and appreciate the fact that I'm a driver. Somebody who wants the very best things in life. I want somebody who wants success. And somebody who wants to be financially independent. Somebody who can intellectualize with me and debate issues without being intimidated. Someone I can retire with and not hate my life because they're around. So I got out of my car and I walked into the building where Dr. Martha's office was. Kathy was already there. We walked into that office and looked more like a dark living room with flowery couches and table lamps and shades that were drawn so that it would be calm inside. And I said to myself, oh boy, here we go. This is it. Later that day, something I don't understand happened inside of that meeting. I just couldn't bring myself to ask for the divorce. And for the first time in a long time, I saw a glimmer of hope for our marriage. Could it be possible that God had a different plan for us? Could it be possible that our marriage could be restored? Is there a potential of healing? Do I have the energy? And do I have what it takes? When uh, Ron asked us to teach this class, it wasn't because we have PhDs. We're not counselors. Um, There's not any advice that we're going to be able to give out because only God can breathe life into something that's dead. And it's so hard to get up here and talk about this because this was 11 years ago, but that pain never leaves. You always remember it, even though that void has been filled. So we're here to share our story. We're here to share tools that we utilize, that we feel God has given us to help get our marriage back on track. We're going to be celebrating 16 years of marriage this year, and all I can say is by the grace of God that that we didn't take matters into our own hands and throw it away. It would have been so easy to take just one step to sign the papers and have it done, but he had planned for us. And you may be sitting here going, I think I'm in the wrong class. <laughs> Our marriage is fine. Or why don't they have this marriage? But it doesn't matter where you are in your marriage. It's not if you're about to call it quits. You will encounter turbulent times. It's just a part of marriage. God made us each so different. I think he made us both drivers and we're going to butt heads. And so we need to learn how to manage through that. So that's our story. And um, we would like to provide you with encouragement, some, again, some resources to use, and help to put you in touch maybe with the right people. So if any of you would like to get up and leave, now you may. <laughs> <laughs> you do that. All right. Would you like to leave? Absolutely. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of marriage, Lord, that you would bring two people together, a husband and a wife, Lord, and, and have them share a life experience with you and as they grow closer to you, Lord, they grow closer to each other, Lord. We just ask that you bless the discussion today and that the tools and the concepts and the ideas that we talk about today and share, Lord, are your own and not ours. Lord, we just ask that if there's any marriages that are in trouble and in that state of red alert zone, Lord, we just ask that you uh, put your healing hand upon those marriages right now, Lord, and just uh, provide some calmness and some peace. Allow those people to to back up and to assess and to hear your word and hear your voice, Lord. And we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Is this me? I think you're up. I'm up. Okay.
this class is normally uh, takes takes a couple days or uh, at least several sessions. So we're going to be flying through some things at a high level, and I apologize right up front for that. Uh, so it's going to seem a little bit rushed, but bear with us. I, I think we have a lot of things, good things to talk about and some things that will add value as, as we share them. So we're going to talk about um, initially here uh, the, the four P's of marital restoration. And what we're talking about here is um, uh, both Kathy and I were, uh, were, were, were marketing buffs, and so we learned the four P's of marketing, which is product price placement and promotion. That's not what this is. This is the four P's of of marital res restoration. I'm having a bad college flashback there. Um, so in James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. Okay, so uh, what we're hopefully going to do today is talk about a model. And, and this model is something that kind of evolved out of our situation out of the time that we had you know this conflict in this situation about 11 years ago and so why let me ask this question why is it important to have a model relative to uh, dealing with conflict dealing with a, a marital situation in this situation and we have an idea why you'd want to have some sort of a, a model to use rules of engagement rules of engagement absolutely that's, that's exactly right Anybody else? It is. It's going to happen. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely right. Well, we want to have a model because we're going to talk about today about some tools and some knowledge, and, and, and they're only effective if they can be used, right? So how can they be used? Well, first of all, they need to be learned or memorized. Once they're memorized, they can be relied upon as being pertinent uh, inside of your situation. And then they can be practiced, and practiced with some regularity. Once it's practiced, it forms new habits and new tendencies. And once the new tendencies and habits are formed, it, it becomes interwoven in your DNA, and it changes who you are, right? And so voila, you have the uh, new tools and resources that actually have an impact on your marriage. So the, the importance of a model is to be able to incorporate that into your life and to have a place to go when you're in a situation where... Um, uh, where you, you're just looking for, for answers. So today, Kathy and I are just really all about the outcomes kind of thing. So we want our time together today to have some impact on your marriage. You can leave here with some tools and some resources you could use. And obviously, as such, glorify God in the process. Okay, so um, if you could, go ahead and turn to uh, handout number one in your packet. And we're going to talk about the first, the first P. 1 Corinthians 7.10 to, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce her wife. Alright, so what we're talking about here today is when your marriage is in that state of red alert. The fire alarm has just been pulled. The tornado sirens are going. The plane is going to land in the Hudson, right? Uh, so help me understand. Give me some feedback. What is the emotional state of people 
generally speaking, in those situations, the alarm just got pulled, the sirens are going, the plane's going down. What, what's the emotional state? Can you describe some of that for me? Panic. Yes. Panic. Right. Yes. Self-preservation. Thinking about only ourselves. Absolutely. What else? Fight or flight. Fight or flight. Yeah. Run or seek cover. Yeah. Or, or fight in my position where I'm at. What else? Okay, that, that, that's good. What's the decision-making process? All right, what, what, when you're in that situation, how are decisions made? Irrationally. Irrationally, yes, absolutely. What else did I hear over here? Fast. Fast, right? It's like people know what their choices are just trying to justify. Exactly, exactly. So minimal choices, you don't evaluate all the options, you're just trying to make a quick decision. Go, go with your gut. Okay. So that's what we're talking about in terms of place. So this is the first P of our four P's, which is place. So if we understand that we're in this state of emergency, so to speak, the place is that the sirens are going off and that the bells are, are uh, the warning bells are going, then we know our decision-making process is affected and that our, our, our emotional state is one of panic. Now here's the difference. When the fire alarm gets pulled and the tornado sirens sound and the plane starts going into the Hudson, those are all very sudden events, right? You know when that happens. It's, it's very clear. But with our marriages, when we get to the red alert state, it's an iterative process. It happens over time. You just, you don't, it's like that frog boiling in the water one degree at a time, right? You don't know. Until, and then you're there and all of a sudden every decision is, Major. Everything that is hanging out of the lips, everything that is said has this extra or hidden meaning to it. And the emotional states are, are high. So why do we bring this up? Well, because when you know you're in this place, understand it happens to everybody. And that because emotions and decisions are strained at this point, you can at least allow yourself to back up emotionally and just say, hey, I need to find a place of refuge, I need to find a place where I can start to make some logical decisions, and uh, and so understand that that's that's what we're talking about here today. Also, in addition to place, we're talking about a spiritual place. You need to be in a place. So where so where do you go? You're in this red alert zone. Where do you go? Spiritually, you need to be humble. You need to be broken. You need to seek the direction of God. You need to seek rest. Right. You need to give yourself a break. Both of you need to agree to that. From an emotional place, this was really helpful to me. It happens to everybody. These times, these red alert zones happen to everybody. So you need to eliminate your pride and say, it's just that person, right? It's Because it's not. It's you and it's them and it's everybody. Everybody goes through these red alert zones. And so if you can eliminate the pride, um, that will be very, very helpful. Be willing to forgive and just know you're not weak. You can't do it on your own. But it's not, it's not that you're weak. It's just... It's just a fact, right? We need, we need God to be able to uh, solve these problems. In terms of a physical place, you've got to be there. Kathy and I, unfortunately, spent some time apart. We were separated for a year. Uh, she physically lived in another apartment about 20 minutes away. And right, wrong, or different, I'm not going to question God's outcome because His outcome is splendid. However, we weren't physically there, and that was a problem. Uh, and then you know, obviously watch out for the ego. This is where the devil tends to attack. You start to think about me. You start to focus in, um, as we said earlier, 
about you know self-preservation, right? So this is just this is all about me. She doesn't love me. She doesn't care about me. She doesn't tend to my needs anymore. It's all about me. So watch out for the ego. And uh, and this this analogy has, has been one of the, the best things for me. And I don't know where it came from. I don't even know who told Martha. Who, Okay. But this analogy, and this was very instrumental for Kathy and I in our marriage. If a husband and wife are together and they're down here and they're apart from God, they're separate. But as they move closer and closer to God, they also move closer and closer to each other, right? And without God in our lives, we wouldn't be here today. It's, it's totally about Him uh, that this is healed and this is restored. And this is what happened to us. As we move closer to God, we move closer to each other. Absolutely. Second P, purpose. Genesis 17.9 Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. And Abraham was 90 years old at this time, and God called him and his wife Sarah to be the father and the mother of nations. And ultimately, uh, Abraham and Sarah were obedient, and they, and they were abundantly blessed, right? So, uh, um, so finding a purpose for your marriage, finding a place that you want to be as a couple, as a family, as spiritual leaders of your household, uh, is is helping you to define uh, your marital compass and to set your course on a path for a marital outcome that you want to achieve. So it's not about just existing, right? It's about where do we want to be when we grow up, so to speak, maritally speaking, right? Where do we want to be? So um, setting the marital compass is very, very important. So, um, and I'll use this illustration. Uh, this was shared with me, and, and I thought it was great. So if two ships leave the harbor in Manhattan and they are simply one degree off on the compass off. They cross the Atlantic Ocean. One ship will actually end up in Portugal, Spain and the other ship will end up in the Sahara Desert in Africa. One degree off. So when you have your marital compass set and you are one degree, even one degree off, the chances of you ending up in separate places increase greatly. So, need to talk about it, need to agree upon it, need to understand the purpose of your marriage and, and have that alignment between you and, 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 and your spouse. So let me ask you this question. Why don't we do that? Why don't we set our marital compasses? Why don't we define purposes for our marriage? What, why, why don't we do that? You don't take the time. Don't take the time. Time's tough, yeah? Busy. Busy. Yeah, I just assume that her purpose is the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, why wouldn't it be, right? right? It's obvious, right? It's obvious. That's a really guy thing to say, too, though. Very, very good. Very good. What else? Could it be our egos getting away? I mean, I remember a time when we first dated that our love was bigger than life, right? And we could handle anything. That's all them. It's not us. We're never going to go through that. It's okay, you know. We're bulletproof. We don't need that stuff. And it's also tough and it's risky, right? Because what if you have this conversation and your spouse doesn't agree with you? What do you do, right? 
it's tough. However, um, however, if, if you have this conversation, you can agree to disagree. That's okay, but at least you're aware. So go to handout number two, and uh, that's on pages three and four of your packets. We don't have time to do this today. Normally we would, but because our class is, um, is shorter today, what I'd encourage you to do is, as a couple, take this home. Make First of all, make a photocopy of it uh, so you can have it for later. But go through, uh, read the rules of engagement, because that talks about how you're going to dialogue with one another in a safe environment so emotions and the red alerts don't happen, right? But then you're going to focus on these areas, spiritual, communication rules, household roles, intimacy, financial, extended family, parenting, retirement, recreation. All of these things that surround our lives, right, we can have a discussion about. And if you follow the rules of engagement at the top, you'll have a nice, safe conversation. And if nothing else, you will learn some things about your spouse so you don't have to assume that you're on, on the same track, right? So I'd encourage you to take that home and do that um, at your leisure. And the reason I said make a photocopy of it or scan it into your computer for later is do it now, then do it a year from now, and then do it five years from now and see how it iterates, right? See how it's growing, see if you're still on the same track, and see if you're growing together or if you're not. Yes? Is it best to kind of fill them out yourself separately and then get together to compare answers, or is that a little bit too confrontational? <laughs> It, it all depends on the approach, okay. right? It's, it's all about the approach. What, what would be normal for you, you, you know, it, it, uh, the, the rules of engagement, are, I think, are, are, are pretty clear. But definitely, you, you know, you begin in prayer and you have the conversation. If you guys want to separate and do it yourself independently and then bring that together, that's fine. Uh, other couples may prefer a dialogue, right? An iterated process where, what do you think about, you know, when the in-laws are here and, you know, my dad's a jerk and, you know, your mother-in-law, she drives me nutty, you know, or whatever, you know. Those kinds of things, you can either have that either way, either way as long as the, the communication skills are, are good, you'll be all right. Okay. That's a good lead-in. My part, can I take it? Please, go. go uh, the next page is people, and we were mentoring a couple of couples. One of them, who we were taking through this exercise, and it might be helpful to surround yourself with people that you could have these dialogues around because they might be able to help with what? What might they able, be able to do? Mediation. Yeah, they can help mediate. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, to keep it real. And that's exactly what happened because I, I like how you had that insight. Well, gosh, then, you know, what if our tempers flare? And that's exactly what happened with us. We were sitting at the table going, no, this is not happening. But they did. Their tempers flared. And we said, now, wait a minute. Let's go back to how you guys agreed to communicate with one another. You agreed not to launch verbal missiles, which Michael will talk about in a little while not to play the naming game, not to bring up the past. They were doing all of those things. So it helped to have another set of eyes to kind of keep, uh, keep that mediation going and to, and to help facilitate, basically, that discussion. So the third P is the people, and that is who you're going to surround yourself with. You want to make sure that individually and as a, marriage, as a marital couple that you're surrounding yourself with the right people. So what does that look like? Who are the right people? What are your thoughts? Christians. Okay. If you're a Christian, you probably want to surround yourself with other Christians who have the same values and can help to influence those values. Thank you. What others? 
Okay, and why is that important? Well, just because they've probably been their domain. Exactly. Someone who, who is a little bit more wise and has maybe experienced it and has had some failures and successes. Thank you. Very important, Patty. What others? Someone you respect. Mm-hmm. That's very helpful, someone that you respect. So think about that you know, in your own personal life. If I'm going off and doing unhealthy things, is that going to contribute negatively to the marriage? Probably so. And so even just as women or and as men, just to have a, a, a mentor. And in the sign-up area where you um, wrote your name down, there is an area that you can check. If you're interested in mentorship, the church offers that. The church also offers small groups. Is anyone involved in a small group at Rock Point? Um, what are some positive outcomes of being connected with a small group that has helped your marriage? Would anyone be willing to share that? Any positive influences on being a small group? Hopefully. Just going through the week. I mean, it's it's not so much the mentoring as it just mm-hmm. kind of is a place to come and kind of get refilled in the middle of the week or whatever day it happens to be on. Yeah, to, to help to kind of refuel you for the week. Well, I mean, you've got people in that group who can be praying for you that at some point after being with them for a while, you can feel vulnerable with them and maybe share some of the difficult times that you're going through because I bet you you're not alone. You'll probably be very surprised to hear the road that some people have been down. So start thinking about the people that you're going to surround yourself with. And, of course, you, you may have heard this scripture from 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and verse 26. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, And though all parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Plug into this body. You're in a great body of believers. And let someone help carry you if you're down. Let let someone else do the walking and being the legs when you can't carry yourself. Let someone else be that shoulder or be those hands to help you in your marriage. And Michael had someone to help him along the way and gave him, when we were actually apart, I wasn't, again, involved in the church. I was very isolated and very alone. Not a place I'd recommend being in. Obviously, it got me nowhere. You guys have an advantage. You're in a church. You've got the body. You've got options that that you have that you can connect to. Take advantage of it. Uh, Someone that we knew very well gave him um, a resource. And he started putting it into practice immediately. And it was like he was a different person. And I started wanting to attend to his needs because he was all of a sudden attending to my needs. And that leads us into the fourth P, which is process. You want to make sure that you have an agreed-upon tool or process to help you get along through it. For us, it was called the five love languages. Has everyone, anyone read it? The five love languages for us was an eye-opener, and I think Michael will tell you. I mean, seriously, he got off that plane, and I was like, who is this guy? I was like, he he never looks me eye to eye. It's usually if he wants to have a conversation with me, he's muting the TV just or turning it down so we can still have this quality conversation. I was a very quality, time-oriented person. I wanted to have eyeball-to-eyeball eyeball interaction with him, and his idea that was just to turn the TV down a little bit. I mean, have <laughs> that's not going to work. And for him, he needed to be affirmed. He wanted to feel appreciated. And he, he liked me acknowledging him for the things that he did, for taking out the trash, for 
honey, you look handsome today. He wanted to be affirmed. There's another one. It's physical touch. That's another one of the love languages. And it may not be sex. It may just be a rub on the back. It may be holding hands. Also, gift giving. If you like to receive gifts and you don't really know why, maybe that's your primary love language. So if you know that your your spouse's love language is gifts, do you give them gifts and help to fuel them, to, to help them continue on in their week? Um, the book talks about having an emotional love tank. And if you think about your car, it needs to be filled with gas, obviously. Well, your spouse has a love tank, and they need to have their needs filled in order for them to feel loved and valued. So would it be helpful to know what their love language is? Would that be helpful? Because certainly you want to be able to fill their needs. Maybe you're at this moment today, you could hardly stand them and don't want to do anything but fill your own needs. But it's not going to get you anywhere. So uh, what we're going to do is a little activity together. I'm big on activities and learning in a classroom. So ladies, um, if you will grab the packet. Actually, give your husbands page five and six and tear it out for them. Give your husbands five and six. And we're going to hand out some extra pens. Ladies, you have pages seven and eight. And if you'll just listen for a minute, I'm going to give you some instructions. That's okay. And if you, if you need a pen, go ahead and raise your hand and Michael will um, pass those out for you. Okay, before you start, what you're going to do is obviously you're going to answer the questions as best you can with only two options to answer. You may want to answer both, but just answer one. There's two pages. You'll total up the number of letters that you circled on page two, and that should give you a good indication of what your love language is. So you'll have just a few minutes to go ahead and fill that out now, and if you have any questions, just raise your hand. Now, we didn't really give a lot of definition into which, what each of these were, but words of affirmation, I think I explained, was just words of encouraging for your spouse. Quality time means I just like to have that time where it's just the two of us. Receiving gifts, obviously that's a, a given. Acts of service would be, I can tell you, I mean, if I'm getting the kids ready for bed and making lunches, it helps me so much if he'll do the dishes while I do another task. So that's someone helping you out with those acts of service and then obviously physical touch. So let me ask, if you had a chance to see your spouse's results, were there any surprises? Any surprises that you found? <laughs> it was really interesting for us because Michael would always affirm me. He was all, in fact, he told you in our opening, he was always telling me how nice I looked. He was telling me how much he appreciated me, but that's because he liked to receive words of affirmation. I didn't. So he could tell me all day long how nice I looked, how much he appreciated me, but if I didn't have quality time, my love tank was drained. So this is a tool that we use to help us. Uh, again, it's the five love languages. And uh, we're going to have a little giveaway of five books at the end of the class if you don't have the book. But we do want to encourage you to find a tool or a process that you all could use that will work for the two of you. And is that it? Yeah. Okay, so one of the things we want to make clear of, the five love languages isn't magic. It, it just is the book that we used. It's the process that God gave us, and it was perfect for us in the time that we were in. Uh, but whatever process you choose, whatever you agree to as your standard of measurement and milestones as you move your marriage along, whatever you agree to, commit to it, 
and, and, and do that. Um, and I'll give you a little hint. It really works well for us. Um, because husbands tend to be a little bit more thick in the head and uh, they struggle more with learning new information and applying it to their life, I would, I would suggest that the husbands read the book first or whatever, whatever tool you use. But, uh, husbands read it first. And then um, highlight it. Highlight it in the key areas that speak to you as you're going through, right? And highlight it in the color of your choice. Uh, then have, have this, the wife read it. And as the wife read it, reads it, she's going to highlight the book in a different color, the color of her choice. And then the, the husband should reread the book again, but this time paying attention to where your wife highlighted the book and noting the differences in where you highlighted the book. And you'll get some insights in terms of how your spouse really thinks. This is a good example. This is what happened. So I'm, I'm yellow, she's pink. We actually highlighted some similar things, which was good. But um, it tells you know tells me you know what what's what's meaningful to her and what's meaningful to me. Okay, so we're again short on time, so I'm going to go through some of this next stuff real quickly. Let's go to handout four. Um, obtaining help. We just jotted down a few ideas here. Um, you know, there are other places to go. There are, uh, you, you can seek help from your pastor. You can seek help with Christian counseling. There's a wonderful organization called Family Dynamics that, that do some marital enrichment training. Of course, there's a, a, a good group of people from Rock Point today at a, a marriage seminar over at the, at the Gaylord. Again, these are just process steps uh, that, that you can have. But whatever you do, ensure yourselves that you're not doing this on your own. Because you need, it's bigger than you. You need some help. And there's lots and lots of resources available to you. So just agree to that. Uh, handout number five, day-to-day -day survival tips. If you put God as the spiritual head in your family, and you pray together, and you pray for one another, you pray God's attributes, you pull scripture in your daily prayer that you will claim as a couple to adhere to, and you seek godly counsel uh, and not advice that fuels your fire to be upset, that's a good place to be in terms of your marriage. Commit to one another. You're going to work out your issues. Okay. Um, establish agreed-upon boundaries. Enlist and communicate what you first loved about one another. Uh, serve one another uh, with love, despite the opposition. And continue to be together regularly through weekly date nights or uh, discussion of the problem. And, and focus on your, on your marriage through time together. And if you have children, plan how you commit to their health and well-being as a team. And then do daily checkups. Is, uh, how, how are you doing today? Is your emotional love tank full? That's a tough question to ask, right? Really risky? Because if the answer is no, my tank's not full, what do you do then, right? But you've got to ask the questions. Okay, handout number six. I, I absolutely love this. This is great, and we still use this to this very day. These are the top ten rules for dealing in marital conflicts. This is when you're going to have an argument... This is how, how, to, how to go in terms of making sure it's healthy. Rule number one, it takes two to tango, right? The very nature of conflict is there's two participants involved, and it's, and it's you, and it's them, and it's 50%, and you're both to blame. And so if you can understand that, get over yourself, and now you can be in a place of uh, I'm not I'm right and you're wrong, or you're right and I'm wrong, or whatever, and not be trying to find who's right and find a place of, of dealing with, with the issue 
and keeping the personal things out of it. Rule number two, before you launch a verbal missile, make sure you really want to destroy that target, right? Because it feels good, right? When you, when you berate somebody, especially when you're right, right? And you just, you work your spouse upside down and one the other and you say what you're going to say to them and they feel small, actually feels really good for a short period of time. But then you destroyed her and you, the kids probably saw that. You probably destroyed them. So understand there's some collateral damage. Make sure because it's permanent, right? It's, it's kind of like when you hammer a nail in a board. Even if you pull out the nail, the hole is still there. Right? The, the board is still damaged. Right? You can't take that away. Rule number three, wave the banner of good manners. Right? First uh, Peter 3.8 says, Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. And so doesn't your spouse deserve good manners? Right? When you're conflicting with each other, at least, uh, at least use words that are, that are pleasing and not accusatory. Rule number four, do a do-over. This is really, really important because when we used to con- conflict early in our marriage, boy, we had the laundry list. It would roll out, and this is what happened in 1997. In 1993, you did this, and you did it twice, and it really made me mad. When you're in the moment, only deal with the situations that are in the moment. If it happened a week, a month, a year ago, it has no place in the conversation today. right? It, we have to deal with the issue at hand. Rule number five, take a pass on being passive-aggressive. You know, some people just do this. Oh, everything is fine. <laughs> right? And you see that. You know, it, it, that, there's, that's, just not a, that's just not a good way to, uh, uh, to have a conversation. And then obviously, don't wait on the issue. Make sure you never go to bed angry. That's actually uh, uh, in Scripture as well. Rule number six, no psychobabble. Unless you are a licensed therapist in the state of Texas that can properly diagnose somebody, you have no place to use words like schizophrenic, codependent, manic, manic depressive, paranoia, etc., etc. It's, it's not your place to, to diagnose somebody. Rule number seven, play a verbal game of catch. When you play catch, there's two actions. There's the throwing and then there's the receiving. When we communicate, most everybody likes the throwing parts and they're waiting to pounce, right? You're not even hearing what your spouse says. You're waiting to pounce and you're waiting to throw. When you, when you have a good dialogue, play the, the, the verbal game of catch. Listen, receive, take that seriously, spend some time in that, and then, <laughs> then respond. Rule number eight, U-turns are always allowed. In other words, what we're saying there is take the word you out of the conversation. You did this to me. You made me feel like... I don't know what's wrong with you, right? You is just an inflammatory word, right? So we, we can say, hey, I, I feel offended. I, I feel like that, that didn't feel good to me. I'm, I'm not sure. And maybe it's me. Maybe it's my, my problem, but I need some help with this. You turn, it, you turn the you into an I, it's a, it's a much better place to be. Rule number nine, absolutely no absolutes. Words like never, always, every time, at no time. That's just incredible, right? There's no credibility in that because nothing happens always or never, right? There's always something in the middle. So it feels like it during the time. Yeah, exactly. It does. It feels like it during the time. Exactly. But as soon as you start taking a position of finality, right? It's absolutely never happened. You've never done this. That person's going, well, I remember, yeah, last week I did it. Maybe it wasn't great, but I did it, you know, and... So all of a sudden, you're just in that conflict mode. So get the absolutes out of the conversation. Last one, seek first to understand and then 
be understood. Also in Scripture as well. Uh, but it, but great, great practice as well. Try to restate the other person's sentence, right? I've heard you. This is what I think you said. Is that right? Did I get it? And then, okay, now I'm going to make my statement back to you, right? Okay. And then handout number seven. This is also, we've got, what, ten minutes? So do we have time to do it? Let's do it. Okay. Handout number seven. This is uh, one of the most powerful things for us in our marriage. And again, I know we're flying through this stuff, and, and, and normally we'd have more time to do all these things and, and debrief them more. Um, so apologize for the timing, but this is what we have. So handout number seven, this is what we call the marital defibrillation tool. Or how do you resuscitate communication when tensions are absolutely high? This is a great place to begin if you're in a place where the red alert zone is happening. So this, this helps you focus in on the most, most important things at that moment in time. So step number one, identify the top actions that communicate love to you. Yeah, and we'll, we'll do this. And then step two, we're going to identify the top two actions you want your spouse to start. Uh, the top two things you want your spouse to stop doing. And then finally, the top two things you want your spouse to continue doing. So, there's enough in there for everybody? Or there's not? Okay. So... Uh, uh, if you could share, because we, we we didn't print out two parts of that packet, it's uh, unfortunate. So if you if you could, let's take let's take a few minutes right now, and let's just let's just do this. Let's just begin a dialogue with your spouse, and let's talk about uh, let's see if we can identify the top two things you want your spouse to start doing, the top two things to stop doing, and the top two things to continue doing. Let's take about five minutes to do that. Okay, you go first. I would like you I would like you to start me first. <laughs> All right, we are running out of time. I know you guys didn't have a, a great opportunity to, to really dig into that because you got started and hopefully did did anybody have any aha moments in that? Did you have any time to have any aha moments? <laughs> well, let me ask you this: How do you how do you see applying some of these tools at home, or do you see applying able to apply some of these at home? You know, it's so easy to take materials that you get and just throw them on the shelf and allow them to collect dust. And like Michael said, it's a process of getting into that DNA. And so you have to do something with it, right? You have to practice it. You have to memorize it, start to know what's important to your spouse, and then you actually have to start doing it in order to, to develop that new habit. It's like 21 days or something to, to develop a new habit. So use these opportunities or these tools as uh, launching boards for you to start dialoguing with one another and at least get it off to the right start. Start thinking about the four P's, who you can um, put in your lives to help you along the way. And a lot of that takes getting rid of the ego and the pride to, to start that process. So for us, 11 years ago, we, I was in the pit. Our, our marriage was in the tank. It was in the toilet. But I look at how God <coughs> took us out of that and grew us. 
We wouldn't be serving where we're serving now in this church body if we just threw it all away. Isn't that amazing? At what he turned around. So where will you be 11 years from now in your marriage? Perhaps you're starting out new. Jonathan and Tricia just got engaged last night, and they're sitting back here. So along the way, you have a wonderful opportunity to start having those dialogues now about where you want to be and where you want to go, where you want the ships to be, so you can have a great story to tell. And... um, I'm just so excited about the opportunity that, that God gives us, especially within this body. Yeah, let's go ahead and bow our heads and we'll, we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the gift of your wisdom and your knowledge, Lord. In your word, you teach us how to love each other as husbands and wives and as parents, Lord. We just ask that today you put your hand over every marriage that's here, Lord, and just uh, speak through the Holy Spirit into our lives. And as uh, our marriages flourish, uh, through years and years of being together or, or marriages are just beginning, Lord. Just help us to focus in on you. And as we do that, we will become closer to one another, Lord. We just thank you for your many, many blessings and your provision. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.